Amen. Welcome to New Life Community Church. Please have a seat. For all of you who are joining us online, we are grateful you are spending this time with us. So folks, today we're taking a turn. We've been talking about relationships for a while. But you know, if you've looked at your calendar, a very important date's coming up, Resurrection Sunday. So what we're going to be doing starting today is preparing ourselves. We're preparing the way for Resurrection Sunday by focusing in on the commitments that we need to be familiar with to truly appreciate what's going to happen on that day. I want to remind you, there's an open invitation right now that every year when we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we have baby presentations. So if you have a baby to present, let us know so that we can sign them up and they'll be a part of that morning's festivities. We also have baptisms So if you are in need of being baptized, again, let us know so you can participate on that day. Which is, by the way, why we're talking about baptisms today. Today we're talking about the commitment of baptisms. On that Resurrection Sunday celebration, not only will we have baby dedications, not only are we going to have baptisms, but we are also going to celebrate the Lord's uh, table. So Communion Sunday. To prepare ourselves for all of that, we're going to go over week after week in preparation, understanding the commitments that are being made. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And today we're going to learn about the commitment of baptism. Are you ready? That's three of us. Are you ready? Yes, good. I'm going to ask you, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3. I am going to reference several texts, but the main text that I want you to really focus in on is Matthew 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. For you who are online watching us, please open your Bibles and follow along with us. In order to understand this, we've we've got to understand that in this text, you're going to find three voices. Three voices that speak to all people. And I, and I wanted to give you an example of that. For, for instance, how many of you have heard this voice, this truth? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many of you have heard that before? Amen. I'm glad you have. These were the words written by Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence. These are words. This is a voice that changed history. It changed the world. One voice has the potential to not only transform a life, but to change history itself and give us a different future. Another voice comes from the Reverend Martin Luther King when he was in a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama. And it's when he said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That voice, that booming voice, began to set in motion all the wheels of change that would transform a nation of people and transform a future. These are incredible voices that speak from history. You can examine them, you can study them, and see the impacts that they make. Listen to me, folks. A voice can change so much. You You've had voices speaking into your life. I want to just remind you of some of them. See if, see if you, rem- if you remember how much they changed you forever. How about that moment when someone said this to you? I love you. Will you marry me? <laughs> On that day, you knew something was about to change, right? One way or the other. 
Maybe this person, I want a divorce. I think it may have taken some time that you recognized, yeah, that's, that's going to change my life. That's going to change the future. How about this one? Congratulations, you're pregnant. You're having A. Was that transformative? Was that a voice that changed your life forever? Yeah, amen. How about this one from a doctor? I'm sorry. We did everything we could. Or from a jury. We, the jury, find the defendant. Do you think those voices have the potential, the power to change a life on that day and to change a future? Yes, the answer is most definitely yes. A voice has the potential and the power to transform a person and change their very existence and future. So what we want to do is we want to look at this text in Matthew chapter 3 and recognize three voices that speak from history. And even though they were spoken of so long ago, they have the power and the potential to change your life, change your future, and to, to transform everything as you know it. Are you ready to jump into the text? Matthew chapter 3, say amen. 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 Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to share the first three verses. It says in Matthew chapter 3, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Just uh, out of curiosity, how many of you have heard of John the Baptist? Amen. We're not talking about the apostle John who wrote the gospel of John and the letters of John. No, we're talking about the baptizer. This is an incredible person to study if you're a Bible scholar, or you like studying your Bible, you, you may come to read about this man. We aren't sure, but we believe that he spent some time in a, a place called Qumran. Have you ever heard of that place? Qumran? There was a community there called the Essenes. It's there where we find the Dead Sea Scrolls, much of their writings. And it is a high possibility that John the Baptist, even though he wasn't in a scene, he spent quite a bit of time with them, studying with them, and was highly impacted by them. John the Baptist was a unique figure that is going to be focused in on by the Apostle Matthew. Jesus spoke of John the Baptist. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, he says these words, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Wow, look at that referral. Jesus says, no one greater has ever been born than John the Baptist. And when John is introduced here in the text, there's something I need to tell you, and and, and it's important for you if you want to understand your biblical text. The author Matthew is writing to a community is primarily Hebrews, Jews. So they would be fully aware of all the traditions and customs and history of the Jewish people. You find evidence of this, for instance, when he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I I think most of you know that for Jewish people, they consider the name of God holy. So when you're reading Mark or Luke or John, you're going to see them referred to heaven as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. But not Matthew. Matthew understands his audience. They're primarily Jewish people. So he says, the kingdom of heaven. 
These are nuances that are very important for the Bible student to recognize. So he is speaking with the expectation that you know history. So I'm going to make an assumption, and I hope you're not upset with me. I'm going to assume you don't know anything about Jewish history, and I'm going to inject little bits here and there. Is that okay with you? Do I have your permission to do that? All right, then we're going to do that. And it's going to help us understand this Jewish text much, much better. And so what he's saying here is repent. How many of you have heard that word before? Repent. Now, some people will say, yeah, I've heard of that. And and I've repented. I feel really bad for some of the things I've done. I want you to understand repenting isn't feeling a certain way. Repentance is an action. It's a verb. It's something you do. Now, I know that many of you come from different places, uh, but I'm going to just choose one. Anybody here from Mesa, Arizona? Anyone? Some of you? Hey, it's not a bad place. You can raise your hand. It's okay. So if I was to say, come to Scottsdale. So here, here's logic. And I know you're going to think this is childish, but it's helpful. The word repent is no different than me saying, come to Scottsdale. And here's the expectation. In order for you to arrive at Scottsdale, You have to leave Mesa. You can't bring Mesa here. Well, pastor, you know, you can take the girl out of Mesa, but you can't take the Mesa out of the girl, right? No, let's not go there, okay? In order to get to Scottsdale, you have to leave Mesa. The word repent is the same way. It's saying change direction. Something has to change. You need to leave something in order to arrive. And John is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, you have to leave something. And what he's referring to is an old way of living. It's that selfish, egotistical, self-centered way where you are the God of your world. And he's saying, repent, change your mind, change the way you process and you think, leave that behind and come for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he's, he's instructing people that there's something to be left. And it's amazing here in verse 3. In verse 3. This is a passage comes right out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3. And he says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. That's how you prepare. You prepare by opening your heart. Removing all of the barriers and the boundaries. This text in the book of Isaiah is, it reveals something that happened again, culture, when a king was coming to town. All of the community would come out and they would beautify the city. They'd know where he was going to enter, where he was going to be, and they would literally go into the streets. And if there were stones, they'd move them out of the way. They'd bring in dirt and fill in all the gaps. They wanted the road in to be free of any barriers. And John is saying, ladies, gentlemen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to free your heart. Open your heart. Open the road. Take away boundaries. Take away barriers. Let the king in. Imagine if a foreign dignitary or the president was coming to Scottsdale. The city council would meet. All of the different directors would meet. And they would prepare the way. And that's what John is saying. Listen, brothers and sisters, there is something that is about to change. And the voice of the one, as the book of Malachi chapter 4 says, the one crying in the wilderness in the spirit of Elijah the prophet. He says, something is happening. 
and my voice is speaking to you. Get ready. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. This is the first step of many that reveals that the kingdom of heaven is not only near, it's actually upon us. And we are in the midst of that change right now. So we're listening to the first voice, the one that is saying, get ready. Because there is a time when all of the evil, how many of you are tired of evil revealing itself? You're tired of bigotry, of violence, of lies, You're you're tired of suffering, of disease, of death. You're just tired of it. How many of you would say amen? I am tired of that. And John is saying that time is coming. It is literally at hand. Prepare yourself. Leave these things behind. Open your hearts. Prepare the way of the Lord. But he doesn't just give an invite. He gives a warning. Let's jump over to verse 11 in the same chapter, verse 11. And he reveals something prophetically here. Now, we'll, 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 we'll explain the first part, but I just want you to catch this in verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, he is mightier than I am. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, you can read a lot of commentaries and get different positions on this, but but this is, in essence, what he's saying. The one that is coming after him is none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You are preparing the way for him. And when you recognize Jesus, he comes to the earth. When he establishes himself, when he reveals himself, he's going to do one of two things. Basically, he's going to divide the people between the goats and the sheep. To some, he's going to give the Holy Spirit. He's going to give life. You're going to live. You're going to find new life, a new experience. The kingdom of heaven will be a reality for you. But for others, he says, there will be a baptism of fire. A baptism of fire. That kind of baptism is found in the book of Genesis when a worldwide flood came in. It's found in the book of Revelation when the world said is said to be covered in, in fire and it's judged. And so he's saying, it's not just an invite. It's a warning. Prepare your hearts. Because sooner than you think, you might be comfortable today. You might say, pastor, you preach on, but you know what? I'm comfortable. I'm happy. My life is all in order. I'm good. You are today. But the kingdom of heaven is coming. And when it arrives and when the king arrives, your comfort level is going to go... It's going to be gone. That's a theological term, by the way. It's going to be gone. And so don't, don't, don't think that you're going to be okay because this judge comes and he's either going to offer life or death. And this is one of the most serious things that we can speak of. So the voice of the prophet is speaking and he's telling us, prepare yourselves, prepare your heart, make sure you're ready. The second voice begins to speak here in the text. Now, it's going to give us a little bit of a description of John. We'll go through it, but then we're going to get to the meat. Verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. He's identifying with the prophet Elijah here. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. This is important. Verse 6. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, folks, this is where we want to camp for a little bit. 
There's a few things that we're learning. Because not only does John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness, baptism also speaks. But it must be done from the viewpoint and the perspective of a Jewish person who understands Jewish history. So I'm going to give you some of that right now. This word that you find in verse 6, baptism, in Greek it's baptizo. Say that with me, baptizo. Say it with me, baptizo. It's a fun word, I promise you. Baptizo. Now you can go and tell people, I spoke in tongues in church today. (laughs) Baptizo. And what it means literally is immersion. So when you think about or talk about John the Baptist, you're better off saying John the Immerser. Because the word that these Jewish people in the Hebrew language, it's no different. And I, I'm sorry, this sounds so, you know, such, such a childish example. But it's taking a cloth, dipping it into dye. And when you pull out the cloth, has the cloth changed? Yes, it has. It's a different color, right? Just like the color attaches itself to the cloth, to them, to be baptized was to be changed. You're now different. You're impacted by what has just happened. And for the Jewish people, baptism, immersion, was a daily ritual. So here's where our culture and Jewish culture collide. Now, when I say to you, baptism, what comes to mind? What do you start thinking? Those of you online, what, what comes to mind? Maybe, you know, a baby being presented to be baptized. Maybe a, 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 a rite of passage. You know, you're 11 years old. It's time you start thinking about baptism. That's because that's how you say it, right? Or, or maybe it's a road to salvation. By the way, all of them are wrong baptism from the Jewish mindset, because you're reading a Jewish book. Tell me again, what nationality was Jesus? What was uh, the Apostle Paul? What was Peter? What was Matthew? Yeah, so they're coming at this from a Jewish, not an American perspective, not an American culture, a Jewish culture. And for them, baptism was an everyday affair. They didn't ask, hey, have you been baptized? You know why they didn't ask? Because it was almost an everyday affair. When you study um, the archaeological sites all throughout Asia there, you're going to find that the Jewish communities always had something called the mikvah. Say that with me, mikvah. Come on, guys, this is fun, speaking a different language. Mikvah. How many of you have swum in a swimming pool before? So imagine a mikvah being like a quarter size of that. And it was in every community, and you can have a whole bunch of them. So basically, they would have this pool of water, and archaeologists have found it. And they'd have someone looking over, a priest preferably, or, or, or someone who was in authority, and they were observing you. And every day, people would come into the mikvah, and they would make sure that every hair on your head made it underneath the water. It was immersion. You had to go under the water. Now, some people have asked me, Pastor, why is there so much diversity in baptism? That is a whole nother sermon and is one that I have given Bible studies on. If you read the book of Acts, you're going to find that there was a major change in Rome. And it's found in the book of Acts. And the Caesar, really upset with the Jewish people, kicked them all out. He kicked them all out. So if you can imagine the church that was in Rome, the main church, had all of its Jewish leadership, all of its rabbis kicked out. 
And what you had left was a bunch of Gentiles who did not have the benefit of Jewish history, the understanding of the feasts or the rules or the regulations or the history. And so in the absence of the Jewish leadership and the Jewish teachers, the Gentiles began to shape out a new kind of church. But they also agreed with Caesar that those Jewish people, they got to go. And so not only did they accept their departure, they began to ask, how can we separate ourselves from them? And one of the ways they figured to do that is, well, the Jewish people are emerging. They're, they're, they're bringing people under the water. Why don't we sprinkle? It's just going to be one of those. It's not important anyway, is it? You get wet. Well, for the Jewish people, it was a super big and super important thing. It's something that has come into even our day in theological debates. But I'm simply giving you the history. Where did it all begin? And an entire new church was developed that looked, had a lot of the same language, same books, talked about the same things, but void of Jewish leadership had kind of veered from the truth. And so now you had two religious groups that would dominate the world in opposition. I, as your pastor, choose to look at history and say, what was the meaning from the Jewish perspective? Because they got it right. Amen? And so that's what I'm trying to do even today. And for the Jewish people, they would baptize people almost daily. Why would you get baptized? Because they looked at it this way. If you are, for whatever reason, ritually impure, you need to get baptized. It's how you cleanse yourself of ritual impurities. If you touched a dead body, if you ran into a leper, if you were in the wrong part of town, if you had intimacy with your spouse, if you had your, you know, your normal biological thing that happens with women. Sorry, I don't know how to say that better. Whatever it is, once you were ready, you would go to the mikvah and you would simply bat. There was people Imagine honeymooners. Not only did the honeymoon couple come to the mikvah, they brought their mattress with them. And they would baptize their mattress and themselves. We've been busy, Pastor. Sorry. And they would ritually cleanse that mattress. That was a daily event for them. That's why there were so many mikvahs. So the way you cleansed ritual impurities was get baptized. But something caught my attention here. Something in verse 6. Notice what John says here in chapter 3, verse 6. He says here, um, let me get there. And they were baptized by him, John, in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And he will actually say, this is a baptism of confessing sins. Wait a minute, John. That's not kosher. That's not Jewish. What are you doing? He was doing something unheard of, something new. He was preparing the people for what was to come. And he was preparing them by saying, come and be baptized, not to be ritually pure, but to be cleansed of your sins. Well, okay, so what does Jewish history say? What's the right context? If there was sins, you did not go to a mikvah. You went to the temple. And you brought an animal. It could be turtle doves. It could be a sheep, a lamb. It could be a goat, a bull, depending on what you were doing. But the animal would be brought to the priests. They would cut it, bleed it, sacrifice it. Because there's only one way to deal with sin. Judgment and death. We're not talking about go and get wet 
baptize yourself and you're ritually pure. No, no, no. We're talking about the forgiveness of sins. That is a heavier, heavier thing. You're not going to get rid of sins in a mikvah. You have to go. There must be judgment and death. And by the blood that is shed, sins are cleansed. Can you see the difference in these two? Ritually impure, get baptized. Dealing with sin, judgment, and death. This is the Jewish uh, context by which he is speaking of. And what's interesting, verse 6 tells us, even though this was so different, it says people were coming. They were coming to him in the Jordan River. They weren't going to the mikvahs. They were going to the river. They were going to the river, that river, that sea. This is, this is reminding me of something. Jewish history is coming into play again. And it draws into the Jewish mind one of the greatest moments in all Jewish history. Speak to Jewish people today. They'll tell you about it by memory. It's found in the book of Exodus, and I think you've heard of it too. It's when Moses goes to Egypt, you remember? And he goes to Pharaoh. And what are the famous words that Moses tells Pharaoh? Let my people go. You guys didn't say it. Pharaoh's not going to let him go if he stopped like that. Let my people go. Amen. And it isn't until 10 plagues and the 10th, the death of the firstborn, that finally Pharaoh releases the people and they are free. They are saved. They are let out of bondage and death. They're saved. And if you were, let's say today, and I know this illustration is silly, but it helps me explain it. Let's say that we can go back in time in history and you see this march of a million so people marching from Egypt to the promised land. And you come in with your phone, you're on Facebook Live talking to all your followers and your viewers, and you go up to one of these Hebrew people and you say, hey, what's going on today? What are you doing? Well, we're, we're, we've been saved from the enemy. Well, what were you saved from? We were saved from slavery. I can't even tell you how horrible it was. Our children in bondage, our, our lives were meaningless. We were like cattle. We were simply serving and our lives meant nothing. We were freed from slavery and we were freed from death. That's amazing. Everybody catch that? Press like if you like it. Now, what, what else can I ask? Well, what made that possible? How did you get saved? Well, there was this guy named Moshe. That's a Hebrew name. Guess what his name that you guys are familiar with? Moses. So Moshe, he came to us and he said, if you trust me, if you would follow me, not only will I save you, I will take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so by this deliverer, this Messiah, we trusted him and we followed him imperfectly, of course, but he is the one that we're following now. He is the reason that we are free and we're simply following him. And so in the Jewish mindset, this whole concept of baptism is being taken back. And I want you to understand, and I know I've explained this. Let me explain it one more time. In the Bible, water is not only a symbol of life, but water is primarily used as a symbol of judgment and death. Anyone remember what happened in the book of Genesis chapter 6? 
a worldwide something happened. Flood. And what was God doing? He was bringing judgment and death by way of a flood. In the book of Revelation, at the end of days, the Bible says that God will baptize the world by fire. And he will literally destroy this planet before renewing it and redeeming it. And so we get this idea that God is using water as a method to judge and to bring death. And so if you remember the story, Moses leads them all the way to the Red Sea and they stop there. Pharaoh sends his chariots and his soldiers to go reclaim his slaves. But Moses stands before the water and he raises his staff. Remind me again what happens. What happens to the water? The very symbol of judgment and death separates. The very laws of nature are overridden and God separates the waters. And it says that the people followed Moses and every step they took was on dry land. And as the enemy's chariots are pulling up. They attempted to follow Moses and the people. But the moment they attempted to cross, what happened to the water? It came back in. Judgment and death was established upon Pharaoh's army. Over and over in Scripture, water is a symbol of judgment and death. And so John the Baptist is standing in the water and he's saying, come, come and be baptized, not to be ritually pure, but if you have believed and you're willing to follow and there's been a change in your heart, you've gotten rid of all the things and you're saved, come into the water. And he's preparing us for Jesus Christ. And, and this is what's amazing. The, the Bible speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul the Apostle says. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And Paul uses this theological argument to say this. Anyone who attached themselves to, anyone who identified with Moshe, they made it through judgment and death. But if anyone was not identified with Moshe, judgment and death was applied to them. And so Paul is giving this argument, which John the Baptist has already set in motion. And so the Jewish people came to John the Baptist and you know what they were doing? What makes verse 6 stand out so well is that the people are coming to John the Baptist and they are saying, John, I've been on the wrong path and I deserve judgment and death. There is no animal that I can sacrifice that can cleanse me. There is no ritual that I can do. There is no waters that will cleanse me. I know what I deserve. I deserve judgment and death. And you know what John would say? You bet you do. How many of you are willing this morning? This is a moment of honesty, a moment of clarity. How many of you are willing to admit here in public, I'm a sinner. And if you can admit that, what you are saying is this, I deserve judgment and death. Well, that's so politically incorrect. That's so rude. That's so mean. That's the truth. 
And what happens is these people are coming to John and they're saying, we deserve judgment and death. Come into the waters. There's been a change in your heart. Come into the waters. But if you notice in the text, there was a group of people who come to be mockers, to be just curious. And and listen to what happens on that day. It gives us lots of drama. I've got to speak faster. I'm not getting ahead here. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. How many of times have you said that to somebody? You Seriously, when you go to work, say it once. It's so worth it. You brood of vipers. What would you say? Nothing. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Show me that you've had a change of heart. Because you Pharisees and Sadducees, you came here to mock. You came here to cause trouble. I do not sense a change in you. You are not saved. You're still in Mesa. I, and I mean, I, no impugning Mesa, folks. It's just an illustration, okay? You haven't changed. If you want to show me, show me fruit, something different. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid. You hear all this Jewish context? Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, what happens to it? It's cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one is coming after me mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, gather his wheat in the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I don't think you're going to miss what John is saying. When Jesus comes, when that king comes, There will be those who are with him and those who are against him. And no matter how comfortable you are today, you better think about that day. And he goes on, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now, again, here's another verse. What is is baptism saying? What is the voice of baptism? How, How many of you have jumped in a swimming pool? How many of you know what it feels like to be underwater? So, a question. How, how, how well do you breathe underwater? What happens if you try breathing underwater? Isn't it the most beautiful illustration of death? All life functions will cease. Water is used to demonstrate judgment and death because when you're under, there's, there's no hope. And what's happening in baptism, when someone from the Jewish context went into the water, in this baptism, this is a new baptism. Remember, you cannot forgive sins just by getting wet. There must be judgment and there must be death. John is introducing a new concept. For those of you who now are identifying with, you're following your deliverer, your Messiah, your Savior, Those of you who have had a change of heart, literally, you're saved, come into the water. And what you're going to do is you're going to identify spiritually. There will be an exterior illustration of an interior reality. You're going to demonstrate outside of a truth that is inside, that your heart belongs to Jesus. And and he's setting up for the cross of Calvary. And so you are to go in the water and you are to be submersed as a symbol of death. 
And if you stay there long enough, you'll experience it for real. But when you come out, imagine in your mind's eye right now, you come out of the water. You breathe. There's life. Breath is illustrated as life. Remember, God took the clay from the ground. He formed it and he shaped it. And he blew his air, his nefesh into it. And the, and the soil became a living being. When you come out of the water, you're alive. And what he's saying is, when you're baptized, you're reliving, you're, you're animating, you're giving an illustration of a, of a reality that you have died and you have come back. Your heart is new. Something is different. You've left something behind. You are now a new creation. This isn't what's changing you. It's the result. It's the consequence. And so what he's saying here is all these people, they're coming to John and they're saying, I am a sinner. I need judgment. I need death. And I come to you. And, And that's happening until this one moment comes. And Jesus shows up. And you remember the famous line of John? Behold, the Lamb of God, who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. You're doing something as a spiritual illustration, but here's the real deal. He is the lamb. He is the sacrifice. He will be judged. He will die because of him. What you're doing right now is a reality. And man, I, I, boy, would I love to have been there on that day. Boy, would I love to have been there. But then something happens and it reveals to me that God's prophets, though they speak God's truth the way God wants it, they don't often understand it. And here we see the confusion in John. And here in chapter 3, let me get back to the text. Verse 13, it says, "Um, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. For what reason? To be baptized by him. Hold on a second. We've just established what is baptism all about? Judgment and death. So remind me, brothers and sisters, how much sinning has Jesus been up to? Nothing. So I don't get this. I don't understand this. Russell Moore, president of uh, Southern Baptist Convention, he gave a message, and he used the most awesome illustration, which I borrow. And it's this. He says, okay, I'm your pastor, right? Say yes. Let's say I tell you, I want to start a new ministry in our church. And you say, yay, power to you. you. You would say that, right? Okay. And then you ask me, what ministry are you going to start, Pastor? And I tell I am going to start a ministry to prostitutes. What do you all say? Go on with your bad self. You know, you do that. Is that what you would say? Uh, <laughs> just say yes. Okay, Yes. And I'll say, okay, guys, we're going to start a ministry reaching prostitutes. Bring your wives and bring your daughters. Yep, let it soak in. Some of you are like, mm. <gasps> did you catch what I just said? I am going to start a ministry to prostitutes. Bring your wives, bring your daughters. This is where bad stuff happens at church, right? <laughs> this is when you say, hey. Uh, I don't like you anymore. Why? Because I've just offended you because you've just heard something that makes absolutely no sense. How dare you? How dare you? That's not even funny. 
Exactly. <laughs> this is not right. And so when you think about it, the, the reaction that we would have is the same reaction that John the Baptist is having. He hears Jesus say, I have come to be baptized. And John, no, no, Jesus, no, you are the Holy One of Israel. You're the Lamb of God. You're the one pure human on this earth. I can't even imagine what you're asking. It makes absolutely no sense. So let's look at the text. Let's keep going. Verse 17. Oh, excuse me, back in verse 13. Verse 14. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. What's Jesus saying? Something amazing is happening here. The voice of baptism is saying, come to me to receive judgment and death. And the people are coming to John saying, we deserve judgment and death. And John and all the witnesses are saying, yes, they do. And Jesus comes into the water and he says, this must happen because I am going to be baptized. But why, Jesus? Because I want to identify with Luis Alberto Medrano. I want to identify with Carrie. I want to identify with Betty. I want to identify with David, with Max, with Henry. I want to identify with Mary. I want to identify with Eugene. I want to identify with my children. And I want to connect with them. And their experience needs to become my experience. And my experience needs to become their experience. And Jesus is coming into the water. And he's saying, there's this, there's this pastor named Luis Medrano. That guy, man, he's scum, viper of the earth. Wouldn't you agree? But he says, I want to identify with him. Because he deserves judgment and death. But I want to reveal to him that I love him so much that I'm going to join him. Not only will I join him, I will take his place. And so Jesus goes to John the Baptist and he says, do this. Allow me the privilege and the honor for my God to die and to come to life. It is a prophetic moment in history foreshadowing the cross of Calvary. What Jesus would literally do on the cross, he is now foreshadowing in this illustration to teach us something. He's saying, I want to identify. There's a lot of people, folks, believe it or not, they don't like you. Would you believe me if I said that? And if you don't believe that, you ain't been getting around and you haven't heard what I heard. But none of us are okay with everyone. And Jesus is the one person who says, you know what? I don't care. I love you. I'm willing to die for you. And let me reveal it. I may be the Holy One of Israel. I may be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. I may be the most holy person who's ever walked, but I am going to bleed and I am going to die for you. And so John baptizes him. And I want you to understand here, the voice of baptism is speaking. Judgment and death will take place. John said, prepare for it. The voice of baptism said, it is happening. This guy is identifying with you. My question, folks, is this. Are you willing to identify with him? He is not ashamed of you. He is not embarrassed of you. Imagine this. He knows everything about you, even the things that nobody else knows, the things you have hidden forever. He knows them all. And he says, I love you. 
And there's nothing you can do, nothing you can say that would keep me from demonstrating my love for you. Romans 5.8 says that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To reveal the moment in history when Jesus was crucified on that cross. And it was at that moment with God's grace and God's mercy and God's justice came together. And he revealed how much he cares for you. And to be honest with you, on a personal basis, it embarrasses me and it makes me feel bad. How many times have I been ashamed, embarrassed? I go to a restaurant and I know I should pray and I don't. Why? Because people are staring at me. In that moment, folks, what we often suffer in being embarrassed, we don't want to tell people we're Christians. We don't want them to think we're Christians. And yet Jesus says, I have no problem identifying with you. And even though you may fail me, guaranteed I will not fail you. Is that love? Yeah. That's what we're ready to celebrate this Resurrection Sunday coming up. And so you have all of this, and then how does it end? Let's keep going here. It says here, verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, he was submersed, and he came completely out. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the third voice, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And God the Father looked at all that Jesus did, and he said, I approve. I approve. I'm happy with this. I like this, Jesus. This is, this is the plan. This is the way we ought to go. And you know, I need you to recognize something I said. I said when Jesus was baptized, he was identifying with you. And I asked, would you be willing to identify with him? When you are saved, and because you followed your Savior out of Egypt, you get to the river, and now you're baptized. And when you are baptized, you are saying, I am with you, you are with me, I am in Christ. And if that be true, and it is, then when God says, Jesus, you are my beloved child, in you I am well pleased, in that moment prophetically, God is saying to him what he is saying to you as you follow him. Luis, you are my beloved child, and in you... I am so pleased. I want you to hear my words, folks. God is saying to you when you trust him and you follow him and he takes you out of bondage and death and he leads you through judgment and he takes your place. He's saying, I am with you and I am pleased with you. You are my beloved and you will always be loved by me. I know people have let you down. I know things let you down organizations, structures. There's people who treat you poorly. Things are often so out of control. But the one thing that will be a stable source of life for you is that Jesus never fails. And he loves you forever. Amen? And so in order to finish this sermon, I just want to give you some instruction because I do want you to consider your baptism. The commitment of baptism. And I just want to clarify some things. If baptism is identifying with Jesus, and, and it's a symbolic representation, an exterior symbolic illustration of an interior reality, here's a conclusion, and I think it'll make sense to you. 
I won't have time to debate or to talk about why this is. But the person who is baptized needs to know what they're doing. And so baptism is for a person who is saved and they understand what they're doing. And I say this because over the years, there have been many parents who bring me their children and they say, Pastor, he's got demons, baptize them. It's not how it works, folks. You know, they see it as a ritual or a passing of age ceremony. No, if you bring me your heathen children, and I don't mean any offense by that, and their hearts don't understand or they aren't in agreement, and we walk into that baptismal, the only thing that happened on that day was they got wet. If you don't understand what you're doing, if, if it is not birthed in your own heart and your own will, it is pointless. So I try my best to speak with people, and, and I need to know, are you saved? Do you understand what you're doing? And people say, well, how old does a child need to be? It isn't about age. It's about comprehension. It's about understanding. And so I, I just wanted to clarify that up. There, there's another little piece to this. Salvation doesn't save you. You are baptized because you're saved. You're saved from Egypt first. And then you cross the Red Sea. Amen? Salvation first, then comes baptism. Uh, another thing that's really affected baptisms, we'll say, well, folks, there's baptisms. And then someone will say, well, pastor, I mean, I, I would be baptized, but do I got to get dressed up? It's, all I can say is wear clothes, okay? Um, it's just that I have a hair appointment and, you know, is that water cold or is it hot or is it warm? What does it matter? Well, it's my makeup. You know, what kind of makeup am I supposed to use? Do you, do you see what the concern here is? Do you take video? Are there going to be pictures where people be watching? You can't imagine how many people say, Pastor, I want to be baptized, but I don't want anyone there. Let me remind you, a public declaration of identity with Jesus. Let me underline public can we baptize you in private? Yes. Is that in line with the Bible? No. Does it mess up your baptism? No, it doesn't. But don't you want to do it the way Jesus was not ashamed of you? Right? And so you have to understand the concept of baptism is judgment and death. Whoever's going into the water symbolically, they're dead. Let's understand that word for a moment. What does dead mean to you? Does it mean hair done, beautiful makeup and all that? No. No. What do dead people do? Stink. And symbolically, symbolically you're, you're coming to the waters, not because you're all gussied up and you're wearing your baptismal shirt and, you know, no. You are an ugly mess. And you go under the water and then you come out and your hair is supposed to be messed up. Your makeup is supposed to be running all over. The people should be afraid of you for about five minutes. Because you're going from death to life. How do you think Lazarus looked like when he came out of the tomb? Rico Suave? No. It was a mess. And it is a perfect illustration of what's happened. We've been transformed. We've been changed. So I invite you again, folks, to, to think about, to consider, and this, this is the last thing I'll say. I know I've gone over my time. This is the last thing I'm going to say. If you have been baptized, 
then I want you to remember the commitment. What are you saying? You are saying, I am saved and I identify with Christ and he identifies with me. I am in Christ. Say that with me. I am in Christ. Say it with me. I am in Christ. So if that be true, then wherever you go, who goes with you? Whatever you say, who hears you? Whatever you do, who's the witness? And some of us may need to rethink where we're going, what we're saying, and what we're doing. Because baptism is a commitment to God to say, I am now in you. I represent you. And I, as a Christian who has been baptized, I now go in your name. And I am every day preparing the way of the Lord. I'm getting rid of barriers and boundaries. And I'm showing people the joy and the glory of being your child. And so if you are baptized, the question is, are you living like it? Is he in you? Are you a living, walking representation of the holy God in Jesus Christ? Oh, is it sobering or what? So I want you to think about that. And somebody may ask, sorry, one more thing. Pastor, when I was baptized, I really didn't know what I was doing. Or maybe I was baptized, I knew what I was doing, but I have been a hellion ever since. Can I get baptized again? Yeah, you can. Because it's not about the water and it's not about about how many times, it's about what's going on in your heart. So if you want to redo, come on in. The water is fine. And by the way, I stole that from a movie. And if you know what movie that is, write it on there on the, on the video on, uh, on Facebook. I love that movie. Um, can we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would forgive me. If I've brought confusion, I pray you would forgive me if I've somehow tainted the reality and the power that is a commitment of a human being to represent you through baptism, to be identified with you, to walk in your footsteps, preparing the way for the kingdom of heaven. And I pray, God, that those who have listened to this morning's sermon, that it would not only make sense, but it would cause them a moment of reflection where they are asking, am I living out this commitment of baptism? Am I properly getting rid of all the stones and the barriers in my life, representing you to my children, to my friends, to my family? Am I ashamed of you or am am I walking with courage and faith and saying, I am a Christian? Lord, in these difficult days, I pray that you would give us clarity. I pray that you would give us victory and conviction. Help us to represent you well and to prepare the way for the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen. Thank you for spending time with us this morning. We hope you were blessed by our time together in God's Word. If you'd like to know more about us, if we can pray for you, or if you'd like to know more about our faith and hope in Jesus Christ, please check out our website, newlifescottsdale.org. While there, you can also find ways to financially support the ministry of New Life Community Church. As always, Thank you for joining us today, and remember to join us next week as we again come together to celebrate our amazing God, who is always in control.